powerful collaborations, cutting-edge science, and curious minds coming together for a glimpse of the future. Stay tuned as we look at the latest updates on some of the most promising technology projects. In this episode, we look at the PRECISE project. Now in completion, how much closer are we to using large data sets and modeling to inform clinicians about treatment options for prostate cancer? Hello and welcome. I'm Peter Ballant from Technicon. And today we are in the offices of IBM in Zurich speaking with Maria Rodriguez Martinez. She's the technical leader for a project called PRECISE, which is wrapping up now. This was a three-year project which looked at using the power of the computer to assist physicians with specifying treatments for patients with prostate cancer. So tell us in the big picture what this project was about, Maria. So first of all, thank you, Peter, for being here and asking this question. And yes, um, so I'm the technical leader of the project Precise. And uh, the, origin, the, the original question that uh, we were thinking about when this project was uh, written and proposed for EU funding, we were in contact with uh, pathologists at the University of Zurich and some other uh, biologists, and they were focused on prostate cancer. And prostate cancer is a specific cancer type. So it's the, first of all, it's the most common uh, male malignancy. The good news is most of these uh, cases are benign. The challenge here was that there is a, f a small fraction of these cases that are aggressive, and at the time there was no way, as uh, accurate way of stratifying the patients or deciding which ones are the aggressive ones that need severe treatment versus the ones all, that only need follow-up. The result of this lack of uh, accurate means of stratification means that many patients were given aggressive treatment when they just needed follow-up. So when we started discussing, we realized that there was this urgent need to develop new technologies and new biomarkers and new te technologies based on the, uh, use and the, the exploitation of accurate molecular rhythms to, to, to develop technologies that could uh, really satisfy with high accuracy this patient to decide which patients need treatment versus which one only need follow-up. And this is how the project of PRECISE started. And uh, this project is being, uh, it's, a, it's a consortium of many different organizations. You're with IBM, so can you tell me IBM's part in this project? Yes, yeah, so first, to give you an overview of the consortium, so uh, this project we applied for uh, European funding. So we applied in a call that was very specific to develop computational technologies. So as, as such, we developed, we put together a consortium that was very strong on the computational side. So we have, I think, five out of nine partners are computationally oriented. We also have a pathologist at the University of Zurich, with, who now is in Germany, and who was specialized in prostate cancer. And then we have uh, some strong uh, biologists, uh, Rudy Abesul at ETH, who was specialized in the production of proteomic data, because we also have Technicon as the coordinator. So at the time, we put this consortium together, and IBM took the role of the technical leadership. That means uh, we were the partner who was uh, basically coordinated the scientific input of all partners to make sure that everything comes together and we create something that is useful instead of each partner developing their own technologies. So IBM actually interacted quite a lot with almost all partners. We were mostly focused at the beginning, especially in the first uh, year and second year, we were mostly focused on the development we call the Interactome. An interactum is just to, lay, to say it in lay terms, is a map, a comprehensive map of the molecular interactions within the cell. So usually we visualize it as a graph, where like you have a graph, each uh, node will be a protein or a gene, and it each re represents where two proteins are inter interacting with each other. And then we try in this map to put 
to put all the knowledge that we know about prostate cancer cells, so which proteins are interacting with each other, which gene regulate each other, etc. The question is, why do we need such a map? So this map is very useful as a starting phase to develop personalized model for, for the models per patient. So for instance, once you have this map that is built on genetic databases, and now the new patient comes to the clinic, so you can do some molecular profilings, you can uh, see uh, what are the mutations that this patient harbors, and then you can kind of project these mutations on the map and build a personalized model for this patient that you can use later on to develop a specific therapies for this patient. So this is what we spent quite some time doing. We wanted to develop, to build this interactome, these molecular maps in an automatic way. So when we started doing the work, there were quite a lot of technologies to do it, but in a semi-automatic manner, in the sense that there were some, uh, some parts of the procedure that were automatic, but there were a lot of uh, manual feedback that has to be uh, manually given, and that required a lot of time and expert knowledge. So we wanted technologies that could be used easily, fast, they were reliable, but also they did not require expert knowledge. So one of the things we developed, for instance, was a technology that we call Interact. Interact it was a, a technology to extract uh, this uh, map of molecular interactions from the literature. So just to give you an overview of why we started focusing on this project, we realized uh, that among all the um, uh, pillars of information that we have currently available for the treatment of patients, information in the form of unstructured text, that means publication, is the one that is growing most rapidly. So the one we wanted, uh, and, and there are, we wanted, we know there is a, a huge amount of information buried in publications, but it's very difficult to extract it because that means somebody will have to read all this huge amount of papers, which nobody can do, nobody has the time. So we wanted a technology that could just automatically look at these papers and extract the relevant information for us and in an automatic way that does not require a labeling or annotations that can be done by anybody and can be applied to prostate cancer today, breast cancer tomorrow. So it can be really scalable to other diseases. So we develop Interact. Interact has to, in order not to be too technical, but basically applies new developments in the field of artificial intelligence has to be a tiny bit more, just one more technical sentence. It uses a technology based on deep learning, which is uh, some uh, models in uh, artificial intelligence that are really becoming very useful to model large amounts of data. And what it does is able to, uh, to just uh, digest a big corpus of text and extract protein-protein interactions automatically without prior knowledge whatsoever. So we developed this technology, and then what we did, we use it so we to uh, analyze uh, publications from prostate cancer. So basically, we went to a database of publications that people use in the field, and then um, we downloaded all papers in prostate cancer at the time. So I think it was around 200,000, and then we applied Interact on these papers, and from that we obtained a network of uh, like this graph of protein-protein interactions that actually we were very surprised to see that we reached a high level of accuracy considering the fact that it was completely unsupervised, no labeling, no prior knowledge fitted in the system. So we were very happy with this technology. So that was one of the first pillars of uh, the technology we developed. What we did next is like, uh, is once we had this graph that was extracted from publications, we enriched the graph with uh, information coming from other pillars of uh, data. For instance, we also use uh, a public resource, TCGA, which stands for the uh, Cancer Genome Atlas, 
this is a very large uh, uh, project uh, led by the US where they have basically compiled a huge amount of molecular information from different cancer types, among which prostate cancer. So that means that uh, in this uh, public database uh, we had information on the transcript, uh, information on different levels of molecular information, including DNA, proteins, RNAs, etc. So we also developed technologies to, pro to predict this protein-protein interaction from this uh, resource of uh, molecular data and to feed it to the, uh, the graph we extracted from the publications. So that means the idea here is that the more information you can uh, integrate, the more robust your model will be, the more reliable or trustworthy. And w when you say information, are you talking about patient information, patient data? Yes, exactly. From TCGA, this data, maybe I did not mention that, this comes from patients. This, okay. is a, this resource is very valuable because it's like it's a huge resource for cancer, but the data comes from real patients, most okay. of them in the U.S. And how does this work then with protected patient data? Yes, so this is definitely a, one of the key questions, especially these days in which we are so concerned about data privacy. So uh, this initiative was led by the NIH in the U.S., and they made all the steps, took all the steps to make sure that they, patients were first of all informed about what they, they were given the data for. So in order for some uh, patient data to get into this resource, TCGA, there is a whole procedure, ethical and uh, privacy procedure to make sure the patient is informed, data is uh, securely stored, and uh, personal data is only accessed by people who have the credentials to access. Okay. So not everybody, everybody can access non-personal data, but for personal data there is a procedure to ask for permission to, model, to use this data. So this, the patient privacy is, is, is duly protected. It seems like with more patient data available, mm -hmm. this provides more uh, numbers to crunch and perhaps a better treatment option. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So one of the challenges we are having to develop personalized medicine models in cancer, well, many other human diseases, is the, the, the numbers. Like, uh, for example, when we do models based on uh, transcripts, RNAs, molecules of RNAs, so new high-throughput technologies with one single experiment, they can uh, have readings of 20,000 transcripts, RNAs. But we never have 20,000 humans in a cohort. You have at least 100 humans. So that means you're in a regime that is very challenging for artificial intelligence approaches when you have more features than people. So that means that the models have always the challenge of being underdetermined, meaning that you have many possible models that can represent the reality of this patient. So coming back to your question, yes, in this particular situation, the more data, the better. We, of course, have a limitation because this is human samples. So first of all, it's costly. So you cannot produce one million samples. We wish, but we cannot afford it. And also, it's human data, so you have some well, concerns. But the main challenge is data samples, so having a large enough number of samples to do robust uh, computational models. What's wrong with today's methods of patient stratification? So there's nothing wrong. First of all, I'm not criticizing the pathologies. I think there is some challenges to be addressed. So just to give you a little bit of history of the prostate cancer. So in the, I don't remember the years, it was some time in the 80s, there was a new biomarker that was introduced, uh, it was approved by the FDA as a biomarker for stratification of prostate cancer patients. It was PSA. So what was wrong with this biomarker? So this biomarker 
the problem was on the misuse of the biomarker. This biomarker is very good with a person, a patient has already been diagnosed with prostate cancer and maybe had a prostatectomy, that means the whole prostate was removed. And then you just want to monitor if somehow the cancer is relapsing. Then PSA is a good marker to tell you whether somehow there is a new um, inflammation in the prostate. The problem that this marker was misused instead of just uh, looking and uh, monitoring the relapse of patients that have been already diagnosed, started being used also to diagnose new cases. And for that case, it was not a good biomarker because this, this uh, marker cannot distinguish cancer from just inflammatory diseases, cases in which the prostate is, inf is, is swollen. So that means that many patients were misdiagnosed. They were saying, you have a prostate, a prostate cancer, and maybe they just have some kind of inflammatory condition that could have been addressed with other technologies. So this, uh, after 10, 20 years of this marker, this biomarker being uh, implemented in the clinic, people started to realize that the number of prostate diagnosed prostate, prostate cancers was spiking. And then they realized, they finally, after some studies, and there was a task force later from the US uh, team, they realized that the problem was this biomarker. So now this biomarker is not used anymore to diagnose new cases. But now we are in need of new biomarkers because now, okay, you know the PSA is, PSA is not working, but what do we use instead? So the idea we had here in Precise was that maybe just by bringing together accurate, different, diverse and accurate different types of molecular data, including sequencing, including transcripts, including proteins, we hope that by integrating these data, this type of data together, we will be able to just either discover new biomarkers or at least identify new methodologies to stratify accurately patients, to separate those with aggressive cancer versus those with benign cases. And can you tell us what a biomarker is? Ah, sorry, I keep talking about biomarker. Yes, so biomarker is, is, is a concept that is heavily used in personalized medicine. So by biomarker, we mean, so there are complex diseases like cancer in which uh, they are difficult to diagnose. So of course, in the best case scenario, you will just take uh, enough material from a patient and then you will do full sequencing of the whole genome and try to look at everything that is going on. This, first of all, is not uh, realistic because first of all, some cancers is very difficult to obtain, uh, obtain biopsies. I imagine a brain tumor, you cannot just do a biopsy. Also, sequencing is very expensive. And also when you do full sequencing, you get a lot of noise. You get um, some mutations that are really not associated to the, to the disease. So people talk about biomarkers, which are in, indeed there are some molecules that usually are good indicators of the prognosis of the patient. So this is what people have been trying to do in many different cancer types, like define some molecules or combinations of molecules. And these can be proteins or they can be mutations such as that when you see this combination of proteins in a sample, you know clearly that this patient has this disease or this condition. So this is PSA, for instance, was a biomarker, but it was a bad biomarker. So now we are trying to identify better biomarkers for prostate cancer. So as far as the project goes, you need data to help you uh, to build this this back end. And what do you need from the patient? Uh, simply a, a sample or a biopsy or? Well, first of all, we need the consent to deal with his, uh, his sample, to use his sample for research, and of course, to, 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 to analyze his data. Once the consent is given, the informed consent is given, what we need usually is, uh, yes, is uh, for our analysis, we are using biops uh, prostate tissue. So we need biopsies from the tissues, in our case, we, one of the projects we developed was a, a project where we were looking at multiple biopsies from the same patient. So from this precise project, what could a man with prostate cancer 
expect in the future? What's your vision for a better treatment plan? So what I expect, um, of course, uh, first of all, I have to make the comment that uh, there is always some gap between the time from the time when you do the research and it is applied in the clinic, and there's a right way, there's a right reason why this is done. We can the technologies have to be thoroughly tested. You cannot just develop a technology that applies tomorrow to a patient because technology sometimes are wrong. So of course, just with the making clear that there should be a delay where things are thoroughly tested to make sure that they are safe and accurate. So what a patient, let's say here, or maybe in 10 years can expect is that when he goes to the clinic and then the, the pathologist detects that there's some inflammation in the prostate, probably maybe at the time he will just get different, uh, he will just uh, uh, ask to uh, go through a procedure to extract microbiopsies and then we'll have met computational methodologies to analyze these samples and predict in an accurate way whether he has cancer and if he has cancer, what is the stage of this cancer? And then we will be able to tell, okay, these are, we see that there are some mutations, but these are really corresponds to very early stages of the disease. So at this point, we are not going to do anything because very often treatment is more aggressive than the disease. So treatment in some cases might accelerate the appearance of new mutations. So we will be able to tell, okay, it's better to wait to just have like a monitoring the disease every six months. Or we will be able to tell, no, this, uh, we have seen that these mutations that are uh, associated with advanced stages of disease have already appeared, so now we have to be more aggressive with the treatment. So this is what I expect, in that the patient will go through the clinic, will have these microbiopsies uh, extracted. There will be some computational methodologies to analyze the samples, to integrate the diverse, diverse data types, also integrating what, what is available in, in the literature, because I imagine in 10, 10 years from now we'll have, we will know much more. So I hope this also will be integrated into his diagnosis. And then we will develop a personalized model for him, tell him, okay, if, even if you have cancer and you have aggressive cancer, we know that you have this and these mutations, and you know that this drug is specifically good for this mutation, but this drug might not work for you. So that the drug treatment is really targeted and focused on him, not on the whole statistical population. This is what, this is my dream. The Precise project is looking specifically at prostate cancer. How portable then will these technologies be for other kinds of cancer? So, one, many of the technologies I want to think they can be really exportable. This is something we always had in mind that right now we are working in prostate cancer, but we are computational modelers. So, of course, we are interested in all other, all other cancer types. So, I think almost 90% of the work we have done is really not focus on prostate cancer, it's just the data comes from prostate cancer, but we could just take the technologies and if we have data coming from breast cancer, we could apply it tomorrow to breast cancer. So it's really, this is a model to really analyze cancer data, not specialized, not necessarily prostate cancer data. Tell us about some of the useful patient technologies that came out of this project. Okay, so this is a, one of the exciting questions to answer. When we wrote the proposal, that was one of the key points of our proposal. Is we are gonna not only gonna develop methods that will be interesting from a scientific point of view, we are gonna make these methods available to people for people to use. So that's why we wanted to make sure that things are easily accessible. Because um, let's be honest, you cannot just go to a clinician or a pathologist who is not trained on computer science and tell them you have you have this super cool, exciting software, but to use it, you're gonna have to do a master in bioinformatics. That's not gonna happen. So we wanted to develop technologies that are easy, easy to use. So that means the only way of doing that is to make them available through a web service where you just have to, everything is visual, it's easy, you just click a button to upload your data, you click a button to run the tool, 
and everybody is accessible to everybody. And this is what we did through this uh, small company, Hungary. Is it fair to say that you're studying the ability of a machine to make a treatment decision in cancer? So um, this is something I ask very often, so whether like, machines are going to replace doctors in the future. And the answer is no, by no means, absolutely not. So I think machines are very becoming more and more intelligent, and they are got, by intelligence they are getting better and better at particular tasks. But to this day, I think we need still a clinician, we need somebody who understands human health have a global perspective to look at the readings of this machine and to make sense of them. So what we are aiming to here is just to create to create machines that support the work of clinicians and pathologists. We don't want to replace them, we want to enhance their work, to help, to, uh, to minimize, to basically to eliminate those tasks that are routine and don't, re don't require thinking uh, power of this clinician, but to take time from them, and just to help them so they can release their time to those uh, situations where they require train people to think hard. And is your project leveraging artificial intelligence? Yes. Um, um, all the technologies basically we have developers use artificial intelligence. Uh, tell us the advantage of working in a multidisciplinary consortium for a project like this. I think the collaboration has been really successful. We, as in all projects, there were always challenges, but we managed to overcome these challenges. And this type of collaboration really highlights the need of bringing together people from different disciplines to work together. I think none of the things we have achieved will have been, none of the partners individually will have been able to achieve what we have achieved on their own. So we need to pathologists and biologists and computer science and engineers and, and a physicists. So we need all these people to come together, to think together, and to come to solutions together. I mean, I, and a physicist, I don't understand, have an understanding of prostate cancer. A pathologist might know a lot about prostate cancer, but it has a no, doesn't know artificial intelligence. And none of us knows how to build an interface for people to use. So really, this, this, it really highlights the need of having this interdisciplinary consortium where different expertises are combined together for the, to achieve success in whatever task they are trying to achieve. Thank you for speaking with us today, and thank you also for your contributions to this project, and we wish you continued success in the future. Thank you very much. This project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Program under grant agreement number 668858. This work is also supported by the Swiss State Secretariat for Education, Research and Innovation under contract number 15.03242. The opinions expressed and arguments employed herein do not necessarily reflect the official views of the Swiss government or the European Commission. Thank you.